both watching the guys play this past weekend. I'm looking forward to getting out, playing in front of the fans again, putting on a good show for them. You know, just continue to come out and play St. Peter football. There's only one Wally in the CFL. He's been a tremendous coach and general manager in the league, first with Calgary, and then, of course, the number of years with the Lions. Winning is not always easy. Well, I know how much work that these guys put in through training camp. It isn't easy. I don't, everybody works extremely hard to get to this point, and we're going to smile and have fun with it. I think I'm the most interesting player in, in the CFL, and, and that's what gets people talking about me. In fact, he could be probably one of the top five DBs in the league if he played there full-time. Well, he's not Superman. I am only human, but, you know, a lot of people that can... Welcome to the Candid Rank Live Show, Leaf Talk Edition. With Candid Frank and David Morrison. Let's talk hockey. conversation, and that is uh, the accusations leveled at Riley last night, resolved early today, um, as it turns out, uh, didn't do what he was accused of, and of course, what that means is uh, absolutely nothing, you know, tempest in a teapot. Great, we get an opportunity to learn about what not to say if you're a hockey player. I mean, it's a, a better way to find out you know, the way we should talk, the way we should behave on the ice, or maybe even in the stadium, actually. Joining me is David Morissuti. I'm Candid Frank, and this is Leaf Talk. And the biggest story, starting right now, that is probably the the biggest and shortest story, David, has to be this Riley um, homophobic slur accusation. People react on the Internet. I know you have feelings about that. I think the way that when you look at how the organization uh, took care of it and how the NHL put it off is that, you know, let's, let's take a second here. Let's not, you know, run to any conclusions. And I think, uh, I mean, they did the right thing and they, you know, they took their time. They went through all the footage. They talked to everyone involved. Unfortunately, and the reason why this became a big deal was because of people who were quick to just throw things out and not really 
you know, take the time to, and, and, you know, as soon as I, I heard about it, I, you know, I rushed to listen to the video. I listened to that thing about 10 to 15 times, maybe even more than that, probably more than that. And I, for the life of me, could not hear or tell that it was him that said, now he did say something that could be deemed inappropriate to say, because he did use, uh, he did curse at the official, which, you know, you don't want to have that, you know, over the, you know, the airways when, you know, kids are watching TV. I get that part. He's not the first guy. He's not the first guy. (laughs) Like, trust me, there's a lot worse. Not the only guy. I mean, I've, I've been around athletes. I've been around, I mean, I, you know, I know kids are, are not exactly uh, silenced from those type of things. So, um, but no, and then the the part that you know everybody took offense to, I like I listened to it. And like you just, if you just took the second to listen to it, and you could hear that it was a totally different voice, um, like totally different tone, the way that the audio synced up, you could tell it wasn't right. The people who a were quick to make those accusations. And two, the people who are saying, you know, even if he didn't do it, whoever did it or what, whoever was said should be condemned. I'm like, well, let's take a second here to really understand what is going on before you even say. Now, anybody that says those type of things, it is wrong. And I remain saying that if anybody were to ever say that while they're playing hockey, they will be like the referees are not going to just let it go somebody is going to get reprimanded for it. Um, And that's why I thought this whole thing was, you know, misunderstood from the beginning because the refs didn't do anything about it. They're not going to let that go. So that's my thoughts on it. I'm sure you have some uh, opinions on, well, I'm curious to see what you have to say about it. Okay. Um, Here's uh, where I'll start. Uh, What was said and what some, I I don't know, I I can't confirm this, but one of the things that was said was from the Tampa Bay bench, when the puck was intercepted, they were on a penalty kill. A player from the Tampa Bay bench yelled, ragged, Mm -hmm. which might sound a little bit like the the homophobic slur that, that might have been thought to be heard. And people are quick to jump to conclusions. And here's, here's the biggest thing that we're all now aware of that, that we're not in the internet. We're not brand new to the internet. It's, you know, it isn't 1986. It's 2019. We have seen over and over again, the morons that have a keyboard and they're sitting in their basement and they're being all kind of miserable. And whenever they get a chance to um, one of the, you know, one of the terms that's used is troll. There are trolls out there that are looking for excuses to either rag on anyone or rag on a team they don't like or rag on a player they don't like or rag on a person they don't like or rag on a politician they don't like. They are there to just do that. They're not, they're not productive members of society. They're just leeches who can't put together a thought that is concise and most importantly what makes it concise is well thought these are knee-jerk reactions by knee-jerks and that's who these guys are 
and 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 gals maybe i don't know i'm just saying they're knee jerks uh, they react to something in a manner they wish to react period this is just an excuse for people to do what they did and on the uh, on the note uh, of riley and uh, him being you know accused of it i don't know mike i i don't know riley you know uh, i i don't know morgan at all I've never talked to him alone. I've never interviewed him. I've never spent time with him. Uh, but all indications are, at least from the you know periphery, which I only experience, you may experience something a little closer. This doesn't seem like something that he would say anyway. But you pointed out he said something that was inappropriate. And unfortunately, for now... It's acceptable, and and I think, and and this is the this the, the part that you're asking my opinion. Here's my opinion. the The broadcast has a lot of stuff that comes through, and now they don't apologize anymore for it. You know, there's there's language that's used that is inappropriate, at least by most people's determination, that is not appropriate for the audience that's watching the game children are watching the game so on one sense we're getting a good lesson for those kids who are being told it's not it's not appropriate and it's not good of you to do that and players and the league are saying so which has an impact on all the young hockey players boys and girls so to summarize nothing happened but we can learn a lot from what nothing ha- from where nothing happened, and that's that's it for me. I mean, this is just a, a tempest in a teapot, but a, a great milestone for us to, you know, look at and ask ourselves: Where are we in the world of acceptance of individuals and their preferences, whether they be political, language, or sexual? Where are we? Well, we f- we found out with this experience, as you said. And, and and as I said, it will it was a harmless lesson. Harmless in the sense that nothing really happened, but it raised an issue which I think ultimately, David, was a good thing. Yeah, I, I mean what I liked the most about it was how, you know, the report that Riley as soon as he saw what was going on, he turned you know, he went he you know, they just played a game. Instead of, you know, sleeping on it, he went right back to the arena, talked with uh, the general manager, talked with the, in, um, with the people who were investigating to get it all cleared up. He didn't try to hide from it. He knew That's that right. he went, it was, he took the responsible route. And then the Leafs, you know, they give a lot of credit to Kyle Dubas for what he said. And, you know, making it, you know, the Leafs aren't going to hide from, you know, even though the, nothing uh, happened, nothing was, you know, the investigation showed that nothing happened, they they made the point clear that, you know, this is where we stand in as an organization on, on this issue. And, you know, I think that does better than just not doing anything. They could have done nothing, but they chose to, you know, to really make, a, you know, something out of it, you know, that people can learn from. And hopefully people did. Um and people at least now understand where Riley stands on the whole issue, too. Oh, where he stands, without question, without question. While he wasn't 
you know, he's not well equipped to discuss this subject. The reason he isn't, you know, he was very tenuous in the way he spoke. Uh, what he said, you could tell he was very nervous. And, and he had a, every right to be nervous because even broaching this subject, David, even from an innocent aspect, it's very easy to get dragged in by saying something that some sharpshooter out there is going to shoot down. You know, so uh, I don't blame him for being nervous. The topic in itself is a time bomb ticking, waiting for the opportunity, right? Even discussing it after the fact, the nerves, the nerves that were there, obviously I think were justified. And now this is a young man who has, whether he believed using that kind of language or not, we don't know. But what we do know is he learned a very important lesson and also he can pass on that lesson. So, you know, that's the part that's scary is that this is not something that begins and ends with him being guilty or innocent. You know, uh, how they react is judged, how he reacts is judged, what he says is judged, what, how, you know, what we think is judged because then when we talk about it, you know, like we're doing right now, we're judging those people who are immediately jumping on the negative side or hoping it seems for the negative side to, you know, to develop and, and something horrible just happened and now they get to talk about it. You know, we're talking about that too. So the whole point here is, and, and again, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, we learned a very important lesson. We had a teaching moment, a learning moment at what I will call not what was discussed, not the homophobic slur that wasn't used, not the fact that homophobic slurs exist, not trying to minimize that. But what I am saying is that at very, there was no real damage, but there was an acceptance of the damage it can do and the fact that we should remove that kind of language, not only on the ice, in the stands too, and also on the street, in the schools, and in our homes, and everywhere else we congregate. I I couldn't put it much better than that. I just think, you know, society does have a long way to go, to really be able to handle this issue like the way it needs to be handled. Um, I mean, there's people who have their beliefs and, you know, you could try your best to try to educate and tell them, you know, to try to progress forward, but there's people who have their beliefs and you, you can't change that in certain situations. So I think we just need to be just, it's just an awareness that, you know, something as sensitive and as, like this needs to be handled delicately. Can't just be something you throw out there. It just can't. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, I think hopefully people, there's people who probably may have learned from this or some people, who, uh, as you said, there's some people who are just, uh, they don't simply want to learn from it. Uh, but I think now the team has done the right thing. And now I think hopefully we can kind of move forward through this. Absolutely. And, and unfortunately, an unfortunate experience, one that has been within 24 hours 
you know, seen, diagnosed, the patient hasn't died and is not in critical condition. Like I said, tempest in a teapot, a lot of discussion. We just used up uh, 15 minutes of our show, almost 15 minutes, discussing something that really is ultra important, extremely important, and it is important. So I'm glad we could spend that time to offer our suggestions and our opinions. Thanks for yours, David. It's a very, I'm sure there's going to be someone out there, if they're listening to this, we're going to get feedback, negative feedback in some way. Either because we said something not hard enough, or we said something too hard, or, you know, whatever. But it doesn't matter to me. We're talking about it, and I think that's the primary goal in life. You know, anytime something happens, as long as we're talking about it, we're learning. Thanks, David. No problem. All right. So uh, let's get on to why we're here, talking about hockey. And um, I guess maybe uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start by, by talking about the game that happened last Wednesday on the 6th. The final at Vancouver was 3-2 Vancouver, a loss for the Leafs. They did get a point. That's a good thing. Um, another another game where they played really well, but unfortunately couldn't cash in, and it's becoming a it's becoming a, a trend where their offense is really not able to com- you know to connect given the opportunities they have, and it's starting to really start to be a problem. Yeah, I mean that game was. Um... It was a weird one because, you know, for the first two periods of Leafs, it didn't look like the Leafs were going to be in that much trouble against, uh, you know, Vancouver. against Vancouver. Thank you. And, you know, it, it kind of just Vancouver was starting to find a little life at the end of the second period, and then the third period came along. And uh, and that was the first time the Leafs lost a game after leading up to two. Like, this hadn't been That's an right. issue for 22-0, and I think they were. I think it was thirty-two and zero. Oh, Something 32? along those okay. lines. Well, whatever. It it was a very good. Run. It was a lot in zero. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the pretty much the zero part was the important part, and yep. um, yeah, I mean Josh Levo, you know, capitalized on time and space, and he had a nice shot that went in, uh, and you know they get the second goal. You know, you know the overtime goal is a little peeved because you know. That's a, I mean that's a save you expect Anderson to make and you know the Leafs didn't really in overtime didn't really press the issue as well they kind of let the Canucks get to that point where they could uh, win the game so so that kind of bothered me a little bit but getting the point you know when you're on the road like that it's always a good thing at least but uh, you you left that game kind of wanting more out of it. I couldn't agree more. The thing the Leafs um, about that game, I loved it. Josh Levo. It was great to see him score a goal. And he reminded me again how big he is. He's not a small guy, no. 
didn't always use his size though when when he was with the Leafs. I think that was part of the the thing that Babcock wasn't a fan of with him is just you know you got this guy who has size, he has the shot, but he didn't put all those tools together in Toronto. I don't know if maybe that was just. He didn't feel like, you know, the opportunity was there for him and, you know, he just wasn't working towards it. I'm not too sure, but, um, yeah. So I think he, um, he at least he's now found something that he can look forward to in Vancouver and he's pushing towards being an everyday NHL. What I'm seeing it from him in Vancouver, I didn't really see it all the time in Toronto on a consistent basis. Well, and, and of course, don't forget, we're not watching every one of his games. So, yeah, you know, mean, so you you really don't know uh, what his game looks like that much, uh, unless you're scouting him and watching all the games. I'm sure Vancouver's happy with him. Carcone's, Carcone, Carcone, however you want to say it, he scored a goal for the Buds' little team, the Marlies, yesterday. I think he scored one. It might have been two, actually. Um, they were playing the Islander farm team. Uh, so that's the guy they traded for uh, when they got him. Uh, they got who they got for Levo. Um, the, you know the the thing uh, the thing of the the Vancouver thing was that the again you know Anderson you know subtract last night and he had an awesome week in goal again. Last week was really good. This week was good as well. It was great. Yeah, he you know. There's been a big talk about him needing to get some, you know, get some nights off down the stretch. But he's, uh, w- with the way he's playing, the Leafs should have, like, they should feel confident to win. You know, when your goalie's playing that well, you know, you can tell by the way the team plays, it makes a difference. And he's just been, this is the Anderson that we know and we've seen before. Um, so at times it's no surprise to see him, you know, play like this. But I mean, you people are talking about him as the MVP, and I'm like, how could you give it to anybody but Anderson right now? You know, your goaltender is the most important player on the team. Sometimes it gets it gets missed a bit because people say, well, if he is the most important player, why isn't he paid the most? But that's a whole other right. issue. Um, mm-hmm. But no, he's by far been the Leafs MVP this season because when he's on his game. The Leafs pretty much look like one of the top teams in the league. Now, that's scary what you just said, because that's the issue that's becoming clearer-ish. And that is the Toronto Maple Leafs are only as good as Anderson. In fact, if they had an ordinary goalie in net, this team would not be that good. And that's a scary thought that has some legs you you disagree with that, David? I mean, this is not a top an upper echelon team without Anderson. Now you can't pull out the goaltender; he's part of the team. But I'm just saying yeah. that if it was not for Anderson, they would be a lot of the other teams that are struggling to make the playoffs that don't have goaltending. Oh, there's, there's no doubt. They're part of the reason why a team is good is they have good players in in the vital positions. I mean. The Leafs' defense, in comparison to some of the other top teams, people say isn't up to snuff, but, you know, you kind of get by that with a good goaltender. I mean, Tampa has a really good goaltender. I I actually think Tampa's defense isn't as great, but they have Vasilevsky, and, you know, he makes up for it as well. 
Really? Do you um, really boss. think that? You don't think that Hedman's better than any of the Leafs defensemen? Oh, Hedman's great, but it's not just Hedman. I mean, Hedman. No, no, I know, but we, we can two. get uh, Coburn. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Coburn, Coburn's Coburn's who who Muzzin's supposed to be. Yeah, I'm Colburn was very good. You know, there was a time where he was really good, mm-hmm. and in Tampa, he doesn't have to be really good. Like Tampa, mm-hmm. there's a reason why Tampa's you know way above everyone. Like they have the right depth, but I've seen Vasilevsky have games where you know Tampa, like you know, Tampa and Boston have both gone pretty good goaltending, and that's why they're on the streaks that they're on. Because there's games where it's close, or you know, when your goaltender's not bailing you. I, I watched Tampa against Minnesota where they lost three nothing, and Vasilevsky was incredible. Yet he made there was three goals that were allowed, where, you know, if you're not getting your goal, giving goaltender anything, there's only so much your goaltender can do. So, well, I mean, there's a lot absolutely. of that. It, I I actually think. Like, you know, I, I've seen the way Louis Domingue has played. If Louis Domingue was the goalie, it would be – he'd be average. He's not an above-average goalie. Teams that are doing really well have above-average goaltending, and that's, there's a reason. And I've looked at the way Tampa's allowed chances. Like, they don't – they're not a team that, like, um, let's say, like, a New York or a Minnesota or Boston where they don't allow a lot of chances. They allow quite a few few chances like I've seen Vasilevsky have to make you know 40 saves 35 40 saves like he's not getting a light workload in Tampa that's for sure but they can outscore the mistakes oh absolutely I think this was the last night's game was the 16th time they scored six or more goals like that's That's a lot of games where you're running up the score really high. Part of it, yeah, they have to if they're in a high-scoring game, but there's games where they're winning like 7-3, 8-3, 6-2 like last night, and that's because Mm -hmm. they have the offense to do it. You're right. 5-2 against Winnipeg, a pretty good team. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, they they also know how to catch teams when – they're, they're, you know, when we talk about how the Leafs want to have their power play, you know, catch teams when they make a mistake or getting too aggressive, that's what Tampa's doing. Tampa, no doubt, has the best power play in the league. And that's why they're – I mean, I, I can't remember who mentioned – I think it was Steve Simmons, actually, who mentioned that Tampa is one of the best passing teams. Like, when they make – you know, they're moving the puck so well. And um, I think that's part of the reason why they have the success. They do. They they have an interesting power play. They really like to work the puck on the outside. And then they find themselves, then they, you don't know which of the five are going to move into a scoring position or, a, you know, a, a standard scoring position. But that puck goes yeah. around the perimeter like crazy, and and when oh, when the when the defense when when the sorry when the penalty killing collapses, their defense collapses with the like it did with the Leaf defense, you know. And um, it, it was you know they got they got a break too. 
on the penalty kill against the Leafs, not to go back to Riley's, uh, you know, when Riley said what he said to the official, that wasn't a homophobic slur. It was because there was a penalty that wasn't called. It was clearly a penalty. The league has this thing where you slash a guy in the gloves, it's a penalty. There's not, you get a guy with, on his gloves with your stick, there is no, it's, o, it's okay. But it was on that play. And the referee scored that goal for Tampa Bay. And I can understand why that's very frustrating. But it turned out there were three of them. It was a three-on-one. And, the, and, and, and they're just, they're so good with the puck to extend, you know, the conversation to, you know, just not just on the power play. But as a team, uh, they are such a great positional team. They're always in the right position. They're well-coached. This is not to say that Babcock isn't a great coach, but I really don't think there's a better coach in the National Hockey League than the one that is coaching Tampa Bay right now. Cooper is, I think, the best coach in the league. It's really easy, people think, to coach a lot of talent. But damn, one thing I know about all sports, there's not enough pucks, there's not enough balls, there's not enough soccer balls, basketballs, footballs, baseballs, if you follow what I'm saying, when you have a team loaded with great players. And there is an animosity that can develop. And this, you know, to be able to keep playing as a team and have that much talent in the room takes a little bit of jockeying by the coach. Oh, yeah. I mean, the one thing about Tampa is they've been doing this for about, I'd say about 10 years let's say nine, ten years. Um, and John Cooper, I think, has been there for about, because he took over for Guy Boucher, so he's probably been there for just over half of that. Like, you know, this is a team that's built cohesiveness. They've been together. This is a group that's been together for, you know, the core of Stamkos, Hedman, Kucherov, um, Tyler Johnson. And then they've, you know, brought in guys, around, you know, through trades. Uh, Point. Not me. Yeah, like Braden Point, draft. He was a second-round pick. You know, this is what – they've probably built their team the way the NHL team should be built. And I think this is where the Leafs are going to try to go down the – you know, are trying to do. Um, you know, a lot of the guys they brought in through – that are on Tampa now have been through their AHL team. It was Syracuse. Uh, I believe it's still Syracuse now. Um, mm-hmm. And so these are guys like Kucherov went through there. Uh, Johnson went there. Point went through there. Anthony Sorelli went through there. Like, I know a lot of these guys. I've watched them when they played against the Marlies in the playoffs, and they did well. I've seen these guys Won in the championship. OHL. Exactly. So these are guys that have been together. They've been through the ringer. So, you know, it, this didn't happen overnight for Tampa. It's taken them years to get to this point. Well, they, they've they've also been blessed, you know, with an opportunity financially to have more bang for their buck than any of the other teams, as much or better bang for their buck than the other teams in the National Hockey League. They're, they're, finally, people are admitting that there is an advantage. But, you know, nobody really wants to say it because then it raises the specter that it isn't the level playing field, which was the whole point of the cap. 
but it isn't a level playing field. And we're going to see next year what's going to happen with Florida. If they become willing to spend money, you know, if they're willing to spend money and if they're willing to spend to the cap as Tampa Bay is, they'll be able to bring in some players. Uh, and I did an interview with uh, Trevor Harris, David, uh, about, about a week and a half ago. And he admitted, you know, he's, go- he, he's playing for the money. Not that he doesn't love the game. He loves the game and all that. And I think most players are like that. Money uh, is why you do it. It's, it's a freaking job, man. And, you know, what you want is a lifestyle, maybe, where you're playing. You consider that. Mm-hmm. You consider maybe even the climate, which is part of the lifestyle. You consider if there is an advantage tax-wise. You consider that. You consider whether the team is a, a, com- a contender. And let's face it. Tampa hits on all this, uh, all those bells. They check all those boxes. You know, they're an organization that if you're a player and they come to you and say, you know, how would you like to play here? Or when they say to you, okay, you want to sign here? You know, if, if you have that additional, you know, those additional boxes that are ticked, those are all reasons why you want to stay in Tampa. Now, they can't avoid the challenge of regardless of the tax break that they have, they still have to. They still have to, you know, spend the same amount of money as everybody else. They can't spend any more than anybody else. And that challenge is coming up. And I think it's not lost on that team that's there. And I think that the, the teams that are really good know that today's the day. We can't wait till tomorrow. I got to be as good as I can be today because tomorrow's not a promise. You know, tomorrow's not promised to us. We may not be competitive next year. Goodness knows how things can change, right? And, and that's I like that impatience, you know, with Tampa. And, and the team plays with a lot of impatience in the sense that they don't wait for anything to happen. They initiate, you know, not physically. And they do that as well. But with, with the intensity of the game, game like, you you could see that they were it was like watching two teams on two from two different planets david it was uh amazing really yeah um the one thing cooper did mention last night and i i was surprised that john cooper mentioned this he said you know they caught a tired team usually winning teams don't try to make kind of make excuses for their opponent but he said like that was something they looked to take advantage of and they they knew they came ready um, somebody, uh, Luke Fox for Sports that even wrote that they've taken a business-like approach to this year because, mm-hmm. you know, last year was a disappointing year for them. They were supposed to be the cup favorite. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I credit a lot of what Tampa Bay has, you know, is right now to Steve Eiserman as well. You know, mm-hmm. you there's not many players that can tell Steve Eiserman that the way his thinking of winning a Stanley Cup is wrong because, unfortunately, he's done it many times. He was the backbone of the of the Red Wings for all those years with Scotty Bowman and Mike Babcock. So he learned he from some of the best. He did, and you know now he's taking you know, he's taking time away from it, and you know Tampa is now, you know is arguably still the best. I mean, they're the best team in the league. If they don't make it to the cup final, like that will probably be the biggest disappointment. I think of any team just based on, 
you know, what they've built. And, you know, eventually, you know, Stamkos isn't getting any younger. You know, there's, you know, the success, you have to hope that younger guys are going to be able to take up more of that responsibility. Braden Point's going to have to get uh, a new contract. You know, Tampa's window is right now. You know, they're, they've, they're really at, you know, in the, pretty much in the middle of their window right now. You know, they and Washington have something similar. Now, Washington had their big year like Tampa's having this year where they were riding roughshod over the rest of the league. And they drew a they, – they, they, they basically blew a tire, didn't go anywhere. The following year, they didn't appear to be playing as well. But when it came to playoff time, the couple of moves they made, they won the Stanley Cup for the reason that you just expressed, and that is they learned about how much losing sucks and how much you can learn from losing and how much you can, you know, trial by fire, fail one season, the next season, harden steel. For a different reason, Tampa Bay was a favorite last year not the favorite. I don't think they were the, the favorite last year, but they were a favorite last year, and they fell short. And they've done the same thing. They've learned from that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not so much the position you're in. It's how you deal with adversity. And right now, if we can take it back to the Maple Leafs, this is an adverse moment immediately today. You know, following the game against Tampa, the way they look, you know, the injuries that they have. The question is, will they have enough overcoming of adversity, as has Washington in the past, as has Tampa, I think, you know, as Tampa has ready for this year. I don't know, David, do you you think the Leafs can, and it's going to be tough, and as tough as it's going to be for the Leafs to beat Boston and then have to play Tampa if they beat Boston, the odds are, it's also going to be tough for both Tampa and Boston because, you know, three, three of the five, three of the three top teams in the league are in the same division. So they're all, they're, they're all going to get a tough opponent, right? So that's going to be the biggest challenge for the Maple Leafs and for the rest of the, the other two in the division where they really have to, they have to develop this idea where it's gung-ho. Get it all out there. We don't stand a chance. Nobody believes in us. Everybody thinks we're going to get trashed. They're all going to think the game last night is the way we're, you know, that last game we played with Tampa. They get another chance to play Tampa, by the way. So they might be able to change that, that storyline. But as it is right now, when it comes to Boston and Tampa, Toronto really is the little brother in that le- in that division right now, by far. They have a lot to prove from here and in. Oh no, they do. And you know, it, it's very easy to forget that, you know, the first two games the Leafs played against Tampa in Tampa, the Leafs were the better team. Like for this game, well, for Tampa was more about, you know. Ending like you know they went into this game where the Leafs you know they won the first game they should have won sorry they lost the first game should have won second game they won Tampa needed to come out and and you know kind of remind 
themselves and beliefs that they're they're supposed to be the top dog that everyone's supposed to fear. And, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, beliefs right now are in, you know, it's not easy what beliefs are going through right now. You're right. They are missing two of of pretty good defensemen. You know, losing one defenseman, you know, teams are able to, you know, piece together things. But to lose two, that's very tough. And then, uh, you know, they were without Kapanen, which, I mean, this is why you have depth. So guys are able to step in when things like this happen. Um, I'm if the Leafs go into the playoffs and they're missing both of these defensemen, that is not an easy thing to overcome. I Absolutely. mean, granted, and there's, there's another reason for that, David. You're 100% right. Yeah. And here's the underlying reason which nobody, I think, has mentioned, and, and it's worth mentioning. When you put the Boston experience the past few seasons up against the, the Toronto Maple Leaf experience, what you've seen in Boston is they've played last year and this year tons of injuries. They've had to overcome injuries, but they have experience at it. The Leafs have not had much experience with bad luck when it comes to health. You know, they're one of the top teams in minimal injury games. So this is kind of new to them. So I can kind of understand why, you know, they might look totally out of place in this situation because they don't have any experience on playing with a skeleton part of their roster. You know, they, they, and, and the Bruins on the other hand have, have had that happen for a while. So in a way, I think this is a good thing for Toronto because they need to understand how the game needs to change individually as a team when the attrition starts to strike, which in the playoffs is a given, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, last year going into the playoffs, the only thing they were missing was that Kadri got suspended. Other than that, they were pretty healthy. They didn't have to deal with any missing pieces. I mean, I think Morgan Raleigh had missed a stretch uh, at one point last year. But, yeah, I think you're right that in saying that, you know, it's – a team like the Leafs that doesn't that in they've admitted they've been pretty lucky with injuries in the past. I mean, this is really more so on the coach to try to you know. This is where I am a little critical of Babcock not giving guys like Justin Hall a chance to play a little more because eventually you need these guys to play in case of an injury. You can't plan for injuries but you kind of can in a way that it, that you once in a while you give the guy a day off to say we need to see what this guy can do, especially when you're going up against what's supposed to be an easier opponent or on a back-to-back. That's what you, you're – that's why the NHL has, you know, the ability to let you have more guys on the roster. Otherwise, why are you having these guys in the press box if you're not going to play them? And, the re, and if you're only going to play them when you have injuries – you're doing a disservice to your team. You know, when they played the Islanders that a couple of weeks back, they threw Justin Hall, and, and these guys haven't played in an NHL game in months. And you expect them to do well? Like, that's – I don't know what you can really expect out of that. And I think that, you know, maybe that's a learning. Hopefully, I don't know if this will be a box trip. 
but especially these guys are going to be out long term. You're you're a hundred percent right, and it's something that it's something that uh, we all you know expect. You know, being good is not easy, but once you're good, you can be satisfied with being good. It's making that step to being great, and what the Leafs have done thus far, this new version of the Maple Leafs. You know, it's about being good. And now we're going to find out whether they can be great. On an opposite side of that, quitting, if I can change the topic. Matthews, I think, showed his inexperience by making that comment. That's not a very good thing to do, to call his team quitters, which he did. How do you feel about that? I feel, hmm. I mean, as long as you're going to be accountable, like if you're going to say that everybody was, everybody quit, like this is not something you just say, oh, the players quit. It's, it's you know, if you're saying people quit, it's the team. Because, A, the team didn't do enough to get those guys on board, the ones who, quote, unquote, quit. So I think, you know, it's good that you're trying to keep everyone accountable by saying this to the media, but what are you doing, you know, behind the scenes? You know, what are you doing during intermissions? Cause there's guys on that team that have held players accountable in the past. Like I know Patrick Marlowe, and yeah, there was that but, game in, in Ottawa. The, but in the dressing room with nobody around. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, this is, is that maybe why are we seeing a reason? Is this an example of why, Matthews doesn't have an A on his shirt, his jersey. Well, I think Babcock, Babcock always wants to give those to the veteran guys. I think, you know, you got Marlo, Tavares, Riley. I'm trying to think who the other, because usually there's, actually, well, there will only be three assistants. Um, So Babcock always gives it to the, you know, oh, and Hainsey. Hainsey's the other guy. Those are the guys that Babcock expects to keep the team accountable because they're the oldest and they're the, the guys who have been who should take on that role. I mean, I would like if Matthews were to do it because, you know, people are saying he should be the next captain. I'm like, eh, you know, unless I see him really take it upon himself to, A, get the guys around him to pl- play up to his level or, you know, I would like to hopefully see the veteran guys, like Marlo, Hainsey, Riley, Tavares, to step up in those situations because they're the ones, when Babcock gives them the letter, that's their expectation. That's what they expect from them. That's the leadership group. So, I mean, Babcock generally gives it to the veteran guys. I think so Matt, then the question... I, I get you. I get you. So then doesn't the question become, do you think those veterans take Matthews aside and say, dude? Yeah, no, I, that's, that's all fair. You know, if you're going to call up the team, the players can easily say, well, you know, you're saying we quit, but you know, you didn't exactly do your part as well. I mean, it's so e- It's very easy to say we quit 
Uh, I mean, I think Matthews has been critical of his own performance, so I think that there's fairness in, you know, that he can say things like that. I know, I'm sure players felt like they weren't on board with, uh, I with Matthews. I didn't, hear, I didn't hear or see the direct quote. The question really is, and you've alluded to it, but I haven't, didn't get an answer in regards to whether he said, we quit? Did he emphasize, we quit? Um, right? So I, I remember he, him saying they slapped us. And he, yes, he I remember pretty, that. Yeah, and he pretty much, he never, never, he did emphasize that it was, you know, a team thing, us. that it wasn't, yeah, it was us as a group. So he, you know, he didn't absolve himself. If that's what we're good, because that here. that's one yeah. that's one that that's one place he couldn't walk back from, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, absolutely right. Now, he couldn't walk back from that. That would be very difficult to, for him to show his face in the in the dressing room if 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 he said something like that, because there were a lot of pride filled players. I mean, nobody makes it to that level of athleticism or to a league at that level without a lot of pride, David. Yeah, I mean, I just know that the Leafs, what, with the guys that they have, like Tavares, from what I've heard, I mean, I remember Babcock talking about how uh, it was in the game Edmonton, after the Edmonton game, that this is a big reason why they also brought him in, because He's supposed to be the show me guy where he shows the players right. what it takes and all that. So I'm pretty sure that if any player has a problem with Matthew saying what he said or saying things, you know, calling yeah, 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 out yeah. and saying things. So you're saying he might be guys. the guy that he might be the guy that said something to him. Yeah, he would be. Absolutely. You know, if that yeah. Babcock's not going to be the one. I think Babcock prefers that his players be the ones to do it. Um, you know, and you don't that, think there'd and, be yeah. you don't think there'd be an office chat. You don't think that's something that even uh, Dubis might get involved in because th- that is that's a that's a big boom. In my opinion, that's a big boom. That's 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 friendly fire on steroids. What I will say about that is I think Dubis, the only time they will do it is if it becomes a big media thing. And I mean, Matthew's comments, I don't think were really taken in a big way throughout the media. So I think if Dubis and Babcock would only really take it upon themselves is if the players aren't able to solve it themselves. You don't think I they end up- nip that in the bud? You don't think that... I know if it were me, I'd I'd be all not all over him, but I would I would say, hey, come on, you know, let's talk. You really can't do that, you know. Somebody, somebody that he feels he needs to listen to has to. He never should. He should never do anything. He should never say that again. That word should be out of his vocabulary. We started the show by talking about words that shouldn't be in our vocabulary, hockey wise. This is probably one of the worst words you can use in hockey, in a team sport, actually. So, yeah, it's something that he's going to have to uh, adjust his his thinking and and his usage of the language to inspire and or motivate. 
um, different words. There's he could said he could have said the same thing in in a different way. But that's you know that's just me. I I just I'm not I'm not really yeah, I, I'm not really keen on what he said. I'm also not really keen on frying him for it. But that's because uh, for me, I, I don't know how his teammates are taking it. You know, I, you know I can only assume, and I know that it, that you know it'd be the same thing. You know, as as uh, you know, one of us saying something on the air that implied that neither of us cared. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like that. That's what I. That's how I look at it. To say, okay, maybe that's how it feels. And so, how would I handle that? Well, I would I would talk to David, or I'd expect David to talk to me. You know, after um, because it's not something you want. You don't want to air your dirty laundry, and that's dirty laundry. When players don't try. That's scary stuff because that that is goes beyond the GM, it goes beyond the coach, it goes beyond your leadership, it goes beyond all the players, you know, in as far as you know, out there, being out there. It's just flying around and that, and that I don't know how long it's going to take for that one to disappear if it does, but we'll find out. I think it, it's going to be revisited again, and and I wouldn't be surprised if 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 Matthew said something in reference to that somewhere down the road, because he's probably going to need to. Yeah, in some... I mean, it, I think it's it didn't generally get picked. I think what might have saved Matthews was the rally st- with the homophobic stuff. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I'm curious if they, you know, if they have another clunker, I'm curious to see how, what the players say after and how the, how the, if there's an issue, then the frustration will be, you'll see it in the body language and the players with each other. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. hundred percent. You are right. So we, uh, the road trip uh, was a was a good one for the Leafs. Uh, the last part of their western part of the trip, you know, they did get a point in Vancouver. They did win in Edmonton. Uh, again, a lot of people talked about Edmonton's visit the other week before the last week. And, and it was like everyone expected a better effort from Connor McDavid, his first you know game back from suspension. So needless to say, this was revenge time, but if it wasn't for the last minute where they got two goals, this was a three, nothing game. And, and it really wasn't anything other than that, but not, not, not good for the Leafs to allow those two goals late and almost, if not for a save on Cassian, a three, three tie. Yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of how that game ended, but I also saw an Oilers team that didn't turn it on until the final two minutes of the game. So, I think like the Leafs played a great game from up until that they point, did. really. They did. So, two minutes is a blunt. You know, you'd like to see them just close it out without any issue, but. I mean, well, the especially fact that they well, so well, David. It's it's all about how they lost to the Bruins, you know, in, you know, in the seventh game, they were leading and then they lost, you know, it's holding on to a lead is playoff hockey. One Oh one. They've got to be able to do that. 
Yeah, I mean, playoff hockey team. You know, Boston is a team that's shown that two goal leads are able to evaporate very quickly. So you don't want to see that happen. Not um, at all. But I, I've, I'm confident that you know the Leafs, in the most part, generally aren't like that in in those final moments. So, and and Edmonton's fighting for their playoff lives right now. So Absolutely I expect that. Are. So um, absolutely they are. Yeah, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, Leafs are up against Chicago tomorrow, Philadelphia on Friday, Ottawa on Saturday. Uh, three teams that are on the outside of the playoffs looking in. Um, they do have to. They do have to sh- have a good showing here in all three of those games. Um, mind you, though, here's here's the the tough part. Chicago and Philadelphia have been playing really well. They're going to be a good test. They better respect them, even though they're not in the playoffs. Chicago's uh, on the periphery of of being in the playoffs. So this is not going to be a, a cakewalk for the Leafs, and they better not treat it like that. No, uh, and you know, but they've, they've had some tough games against Chicago, so I don't think that'll be the case. And I think, you know, the Leafs know what Chicago's capable of. So I, I think that's going to be a good one. I think the Philly one's going to be very interesting because they're – there's three points out, I think, from what I saw. Yep. You know, they, exactly. they're a team that believes they can get in. So they're a dangerous team. And Ottawa, I mean, Ottawa at this point, it can go either way where the Leafs can blow them out of the out of the building or Ottawa, they play down to Ottawa's level. Um, although Ottawa, I think, is there's really no level Ottawa plays up to it right now from what I've seen. Well, it's kind of oh. difficult for them, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And uh, Philly and Chicago are going to be the interesting ones, especially Philadelphia. That's a game where, you know, they 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 can potentially be very close to a playoff spot. So they're going to be – and they would want to show they can beat a team like the Leafs because, you know, you don't just want to make the playoffs and then get trounced in the first round. You want to show you can play against a good team. So a very, very interesting scenario coming up for Toronto. Where it looked before like it was a playoff race for two of three teams getting in, it has now become one of three and quickly could get worse for the other teams because Pittsburgh has put some space between they and the other teams. Pittsburgh at this point has 83 points. Columbus, Montreal, and Philadelphia have 79 and 76 for Philly. Montreal with 79 along with Columbus. So... Now it's a, a battle between three teams for that last playoff spot. I really think this is not just a hiccup here where Pittsburgh's putting some space between them and the other uh, the other teams. Pittsburgh's goaltending has made a big turn. So, you know, this is why the first round is going to be interesting. You know, w- let's not forget that as hot as Tampa Bay has been and as hot as Washington and the Islanders have been, Sometimes you got to be careful because those wild card teams that sneak into the playoffs do it on a roll. And that roll, they can stay hot for a little while. So it's going to be interesting. This uh, playoff race uh, could could create a situation where there might be some uh, nervous opponents waiting to play them. Especially when you look at the goaltending in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, 
and you already know about Montreal's goaltending. Now, admittedly, in Columbus, the goaltending should be a little better with Bobrovsky. So those are four teams that on goaltending alone, with the kind of goaltending that they can get or have been getting, interesting playoff opponent. Very interesting, especially I'm seeing right now Columbus is winning 5-1 against Boston. So (laughs) it's going to get very interesting because teams are really pushing to get in. Do you think, you know, that's that's the hangover? Like, is that because, you know, in the way Columbus has been playing, they've been terrible. They've been a disappointment. Very much so. Right? Uh, I mean, look, they're in the playoffs right now. They've, they've got the second seed in the wild card. But a lot of us, and, and I'm not, you know, I've heard people talk about it. You know, the talking heads have said, what a great way for this team to behave, to be all in, you know. Even though they're in not in a, an even though they're in a tenuous position, you know they're all in to get into the playoffs. But you know if, if that chemistry starts to develop, the two Ottawa players, you know, uh, Zingle, you know, a, a, he hasn't played well, and and we know that that they have a lot of talent, and we're going to see if if they start developing some confidence. Just what I said a minute ago is to be true. You don't want to play Columbus if they go on a roll with Bobrovsky and Cole. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Eastern Conference is way better than the Western Conference for a reason. I think these teams have, A, they've, they're deeper and they've built the depth up. So it's not going to be a cakewalk, that's for sure. Okay. Um, it's time to call it a day. Um, I really appreciate you being on the program, and I know you have another show to do right after this, so I don't want to cause you uh, any inconvenience. I appreciate the, the time that you spent. Thank you, Frank. I'm gonna go and just make sure I get my voice, make sure my voice is good for another uh, for another go around. Lemon water, lemon tea. Just put a lemon in my mouth. Shot of rye. Ooh, I like that one. All of the above. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. That's David Morissuti. I'm Candid Frank. This has been Leaf Talk. Candid Frank and live, of course. Hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed bringing it to you. See you next week. Have a great one, everyone.